of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you? Bonjour. I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Uh, well, let's just crack on, shall we? Right, this episode, we are talking about uh, Karl Marx, right? For a lot of people, you might go, who is Karl Marx? Obviously, then that's the point of the episode. But for a lot of people who might have heard <laughs> briefly, right? If you've briefly heard of Karl Marx, you'll go, oh, isn't that got to do with communism and, and Soviet Union? And isn't it all a bit, like, boring? It's not. It's kind of interesting. And this man is arguably responsible for majority of the last 150 years of history. Without this man, so much would not happen. He's a very pivotal I part of history. I think a lot of modern day people need to listen to this as well. Um, we're both lefties, but I also think a lot of left wing people probably should find out who Karl Marx is because a lot of people idolise this man and I don't really know much about him. So this is going to be fascinating for me as well. It'll just be seen whether he is a, an idol or a false idol. Well, one, uh, a phrase I will say, I believe Karl Marx to be what is called a champagne socialist. Oh, yeah, we love a champagne socialist. Um but we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So let's just crack on, shall we? It could be a long one, so sit tight, everyone. So Karl Heinrich Marx was born on May the 5th, 1818, in the historic German town of Trier. He was the third of nine children, poor mum, to Heinrich <laughs> and Henrietta Marx. Karl was of Jewish heritage on both his parents' side, but due to anti-Jewish sentiment in the region, and let's be honest, most of Europe, his father, Heinrich, was unable to practice his law profession, so converted the family and kids into the Lutheran church simply so he could go to work, which is pretty shit. Like, I, I, mm. I find that bizarre anyway. Just uh, It's the first paragraph and I've gone off. How mad that, like, <laughs> just based on your, you know, religion, you might not be able to go to do any particular work. Yeah, it's great. What, what time period is this again, sorry? Uh, so they w they were of Jewish heritage, but because of the Jewish uh, sort of sentiment in the region, they were like, yeah. Are we Jew talking eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds? Eighteen eighteen. Eighteen. Oh, early eighteen hundreds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A lot yeah. of uh, Jewish hatred from get go. Really. There's always been Jewish hatred in Europe, and I don't understand why it's so bizarre. Like we mentioned, I think we've mentioned before in a previous episode how, like, um, even in the thirteen hundreds, I think like an English king just outlawed Jews in England, and they were just yeah. This, I, I was having this conversation the other day, weirdly, because I work at a medieval castle. How cool is that? And we were talking about. Well, I'm not going to get into this at all. What's happening in Israel and Palestine all that at the minute? And yeah. we were talking about how Jews have been persecuted throughout history. And one of the history guys there turned around to me and went, "Yeah, but it wasn't just the Nazis." It was like, like, England did it. We gave yeah. them, like, identification badges during the plague. We persecuted them, burnt them as witches. You go all the way back to the fucking Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah. It like, it, even everyone's like, Jesus was the issue. Like, all the religion was the problem. But look at the fucking Egyptians. They did it as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did it before even Jesus was around. How mad. Anyway, because of this, uh, as I say, uh, the father converted the whole family to the, the Lutheran church. So, basically made them Christians. Now... Marx's childhood was a relatively comfortable one. His father, being a lawyer, put the family in the upper middle class bracket, which allowed them to have like a, a nice home. They even owned a couple of vineyards, so that brings Ooh. in a bit of money. And Marx was homeschooled by his dad. Now, uh, on homeschooling, I think homes homeschooling is fine if you're a smart person, but I think the dangers with homeschooling is learning your parents' ideologies. Did you I agree, yeah, I agree with you. 
Like yeah, sc- it's, it's school is a school is a great place to mix with uh, like different people from different backgrounds and learn new things that you might not have learned if you were just at home listening yeah. to your dad spout about homophobia and racism and shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You need to you need to be out in the world meeting other people. Um, homeschooling does work for certain kids, I think, but you do you can tell homeschool kids from a mile off because their social interaction is generally quite shit. Oh god, I mean, uh, it, just in my neighbourhood where I live two doors away from me there was a woman who homeschooled her daughter for the entirety of her life at that point and she was now like 12 and still clinging onto mum's hand she was pale as anything you thought she was dead um and she Mm. couldn't couldn't look you in the eye couldn't speak to you nothing just had no social interactions with any other child it was so bizarre yeah school isn't just about the education it's about making friends learning how to be a human being in society oh yeah spot on learning to be a human being exactly now at the age of 12 Marks was sent to the Trier High School, uh, which I, it's one of those things I don't understand. Like, what's the where where does the line draw? Like, if his dad's teaching him how to, well, it's just teaching him everything. At twelve, he's like, no, now you're going to high school, um, which makes me think either there's only so much that a parent can teach, um, or that it's maybe more cost effective to like teach them the basics and then send them to an actual school once they've got that, or there's no primary education back then. Uh, I I'd lean towards maybe no primary education. Yeah, yeah, I'd have thought so. So Marx was also noted to be a lively child. Is the quote lively child who got himself into trouble? Which again, I think maybe that's another reason why his dad sent him to school. It was just like I can't. Yeah, I can deal with him. <laughs> yeah. Now either way, he was off to school. But despite his father's wishes for Marx to study law, like himself, it was philosophy that Marx fell in love with. And his teacher, Hugo Wittenbach, spotted that immediately and wanted to nurture that interest. Which I think is really cool that when, when a teacher takes the interest of a child's interests, do you know what I mean? Yeah, if you'd shared interests, make everything, it makes learning easier. Because if you've got a teacher talking about something they don't give a shit about, they will put out the energy of I don't give a shit. Yeah. And then the kids won't give a shit. People are passionate what other people are passionate about. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely a debate to be had that education, as much as it is in today's world, doesn't necessarily teach children to be independent thinkers, but to just regurgitate oh, information. We're all fucking clones, and if we want to get into the fucking depths of my brain of how we're all bloody robots, <laughs> like, you, we're, we're bred to be fit into this fucking machine of just this capitalist fucking... Oh, oh Christ! I'm turning to Marx here. You just turn into like this, turn into like a cog in this massive machine. You will go to school. You'll leave. You'll get married. You'll get a nine to five, and then you'll die quietly. And that's your life. And so many people just accept that. They go, yeah, that's fine. And they put the parameters of what a good life is based on how much money they make. Oh yeah. It's just like that's so fucked. You don't know how spot on you are though. Um, there is a a theory that comes out that says education in terms of how it is today is still education that was taught in the victorian era in its most basic form uh that taught you to basically just read uh write and do a a bit of maths basic simple maths times tables up until a certain level yeah because uh the only jobs you could get would be at a factory where you needed to be able to just write how much of this am i making uh type in or like you know write in how much i need to do of this uh and that Mm. was it so you, it's just enough and also, to teach them so that they could be workers, and that was it. And like reading books encourages critical thinking, but everyone reads the same fucking books of Mice and Men, To Kill a Mockingbird, 
um, any fucking Shakespeare, probably Macbeth. <laughs> it's just, why are we all reading the same shit? Because yeah. every time everyone comes out of school knowing the same three fucking books. There's fucking, there's thousands out there. Well, I argue that if school showed us like Tolkien's works, how cool would that have been? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, I, I I've always argued that uh, education does not tailor itself to other types of children so you'll get um it's that uh, albert einstein quote isn't it well there's well uh, yeah i think it might be this old adage i'm about to say now that um if you were to judge a fish's ability uh, if you mm. were to judge a fish's intelligence on their ability to climb a tree you would call it stupid uh yeah that's that's an einstein quote it's, it's a perfect representation of how education is in that we're all learning this way but there's one kid who's not good at doing it that way is therefore deemed to be stupid and that was definitely me at school i, I couldn't keep i could sure. keep up and i was deemed to be a bit like and then he's not doing this good it's like yeah because you're not teaching me how these I kids will these kids will then become a little bit rebellious and kind of fight back and then turn into the terror ways that society kind of shuns out just because they've been told all their life there isn't a place for them yeah, or, or become podcast hosts they all become podcasters with far too many opinions. <laughs> to be fair, we fucked it anyway. We're middle fingers to the massive system because we went off and did performing arts. This is, which this is true. This is true. We'll get onto that in a second. They don't want that. We'll get onto that in a second. Now, um, unfortunately, uh, at the school that Marx had been sent to, uh, the local conservative government in Trier uh, had heard that there were some liberal teachers being employed at this school, i.e. like, you know, free-thinking people that are teaching children to, uh, encouraging children to be free thinkers themselves and they were like uh-uh that's not happening so they went in and literally i'm not joking they actually raided the school and arrested half the teachers including i believe um marx's teacher because you're too liberal stop mm. thinking outside the box mister you're not so you're not allowed to think outside the box this is an issue nowadays in society as well that pe- teachers are being accused of being too left-wing and liberal simply because they're letting kids think oh, that yeah. just fucking just sit on that thought for a second mm. yeah Anywho, Marx, age 17, went to the University of Bonn to study philosophy and literature, much to the disappointment of his father, who again wanted him to study law like himself. Uh, and, and, and you referred to it just briefly earlier, James. He was that classic parent of any child who wants to study something like the arts. He was that kind of person being like, oh, d- do something that's more useful. Oh, no, it's not a real job, is it? Or, you know, something like that. Anytime a, t- a parent has had a conversation with a kid and the kid's gone, oh, I like drama. They've gone, oh, it's not a real job, though, is it? This is, this is where the bollocks lies, because the world is full of belief systems. And I had this lecturer once, crazy guy, fucking mental, but he made some good points sometimes. He said all this like money and all this bullshit is just a massive belief system. And if you think about it, it's not really real. I know in our philosophy episode, we got on to what's real and what's not real. Money's not actually real. It's a system that we've created. The only things that are generally real is like us and our feelings and our emotions with each other and our relationships, the earth, all of that kind of very basic natural stuff. Mm. So in doing performing arts, you're then in tune with your emotions and other people's emotions, learning to read people, learning to open up to other people and just generally be human so we're the ones that are real and like serving our true purpose while everyone else is being a pencil pusher buying into this belief system very 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 deep it's very deep and it's but unfortunately society will say no to these kind of thoughts because you don't make money therefore you're not a valuable asset in this world but fuck off because you go home and you watch something that will make you laugh you watch a film that make you cry you read a book you look at a painting you listen to music Without a world without that is so pointless, you will kill yourself. And I don't mean that as a joke. Like, 100% suicides would triple, quadruple. 
it reminds me of the um uh, i find it to be rather wanky quote earth without art is eh <laughs> yeah i mean it's a wanky quote but it, the the thoughts there yeah now it seems that marx's first year at uni and you're like this because we've we've spoke about quite a few other people that have gone to uni and they've all ex- been exactly the same marx's first year at uni was just like everyone else's first year at uni his first getting a bit pissed yeah, his, sleeping his, around his a bit his first term was uh, marked with you know good grades uh, but then immediately began to slip like you know like uh, you mm-hmm. know in first year where you find out there's always uh, everyone goes oh did you know did you know did you know and you find out that actually it turns out your first year grades don't go to your overall degree and then you just stop you yeah stop it's just to see whether you're good enough to get on second yeah. year you just have to do the bare minimum <laughs> yeah. and then everyone stops caring you're like i'll pick it back up in second year that's exactly what Marx did he was literally no different <laughs> Uh, in fact, he he joined the Trier Tavern Club Drinking Society, where he had a great odd time. Um, he even got himself 24 hours in a cell because of it, which is quite fun. I don't know how, but I imagine he got royally fucked up and um, got himself in a cell. And he <laughs> also, this is a weird story, he also got into a duel with a member of a, uh, a political militant group called the Borussia Corp. They like to go around press-ganging university students into pleading fealty to the Prussian state. Because remember, at this time, Germany doesn't exist. It's a load of um, independent kingdoms and states and all this shit. And where Marx grew up, Mm. it was Prussia. And they have a king. And this Borussia court were like going up to university students who are all lefties and free thinkers and liberals going, you know, plead fealty to the king. And they're like, okay, sure, get out my face. I think at one point they got in Carl's face and he went, nah, get fucked, mate. I'm not having that. And then they actually <laughs> had a duel like with a pistol. You know, when you walk five paces, turn around and shoot. Bloody hell. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. He got in a duel with them, which I think has been uh, interesting. Apparently he just got a cut on, around the eye for his trouble. So obviously they survived. But mm. yeah, that's cool. Cool little story. Bring Jules back. Yeah, bring Jules back. Now, uh, safe to say, his dad was royally pissed off that his 18-year-old boy was getting into trouble at uni. So he decided to send him to the University of Berlin instead, which had a more serious academic represent, uh, reputation, being sort of in the heartland of that conservative area. Mm-hmm. Now, it kind of worked. Marx switched up his late-night drinking sessions with the lads for memberships in many philosophical societies instead, one of which would be kind of instrumental to his later political thinking uh, and philosophical ideas, he was keen on the works of German philosopher George Wilhelm Friedrich he- Hegel. That's a hard word to say, to be fair. Uh, Hegel. Now, I've looked him up. I've done my best. I would try to explain Hegel. But apparently, even professional philosophers don't really understand Hegel. And I don't. that's not a joke. That is a fact. Like, every single person, I've watched so many videos on Hegel. And they're like... Uh, well, Hegel's a bit like... You don't really know what you're talking about. You just kind of got a vague idea and you're going off of it. But what I did mm. get was this idea of... It's called dialectic. Now, take a seat, everyone. Um, I'm going to try and explain it. As far as I can understand it, you've got this, right? You've got what's called a thesis. Now, imagine the thesis is... Uh, it's it's what's going on in, around in the world today. It's our current living situation. Everything around us, the world, the global stuff, governments, all this shit. That's what's currently going on. That's called a thesis. Then you've got an ant- then right. you've got an antithesis, which is something new. And when you merge them two together, 
all the good stuff in the antithesis counteracts all the bad stuff from the thesis and what you get is then a synthesis of the two it's as far as i can imagine it's kind of like uh, life maths maths in real life so for example take the french yeah <laughs> take the french revolution mhm which one the, yeah, well, well, we'll go with uh, anyone, really. It kind of makes sense. But uh, for this one, we've got Napoleon involved. So Okay, the, the big one. The yeah, so the thesis is dodgy monarchs uh, abusing the state and the poor people to satiate the wealthy, right? That's the thesis. Mm -hmm. If you plus that with your antithesis, which is the revolution and Napoleon with their opposing ideologies being the better option, minus you know Napoleon being a bit of a dick, that equals a synthesis where you no longer have monarchs, you no longer have um, emperors, but what you do have is a constitution made by the people, for the people, all that kind of nonsense. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Except in that specific example, somehow Napoleon made himself not king, but consul. So he was basically a fucking king. The French Revolution is a weird part of history. They got yeah. rid of a monarchy and elected a new fucking monarchy. So this is why Hegel's sort of uh, theory kind of uh, like doesn't work in a sense. He he was saying, oh, if you take the uh, the thesis and you add an antithesis, what you get is a synthesis of the two, and it's a, a better mm. society comes out of it. And they were like, aye, but if you take a look at genuine examples, like real elements where that's happened, it can't, there's some things that like, bleed through. And he's like, no, it's yeah, it's all it's an, it's an ongoing process. It's continually happening. There's always an antithesis adding on to the current to make a synthesis, and it's like oh, that's a bit confusing. Yeah, it's, it's getting very confusing. Now, Marx did, because I'm going to go away from Hegel, just saying, just pointing out, when he's at uni, he got into Hegel, right? So Marx did <laughs> a full 180 in Berlin from his days back at the University of Bonn. He got himself engaged to a woman named Jenny von Westphalen. Her family were a rather wealthy family, and they weren't overly keen on Marx, particularly when his dad died, and the family income changed dramatically, which is like, that's a bit shit, isn't it? It's like, ah, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. can you look after my daughter? Of course I can. Are you sure? Yeah. Didn't your dad just die and he's the only person you get your income from? Ah, yeah. But mm. uh, it turns out that Mark's got on really well with her dad. And he was like, ah, oh, go on, you have a, I like you, which is a bit weird. But yeah, he was like, go for it, mate. <laughs> now, Jenny and Mark's, uh, you know, as it's not really relevant necessarily to our story as we go forward uh, they would spend the rest of their lives together like they would be together until she dies so oh it, nice that's nice uh, and also a little fun fact I, I think this is really weird but carl every single one of carl's children if they were female they were named jenny after their mother okay so, so it's not like uh it's not like you just have one like conrad and then Conrad has a son and then calls it Conrad the second. But then the rest yeah. of them will get called like Frank or Robert. No, every single one of those boys is then going to be called Conrad. And you're like, why? And it's something like mm. you know, Karl Marx is like, this woman is the best thing that's ever happened to the fucking world. And anything that comes forth from the loins of this human will be, have to honor the person that they came from. And they will be called Jenny as well. And instead, they were all Jennies, but they all had Louis nicknames so you could differentiate them. <laughs> It's really weird. It would get confusing. Wouldn't it? Really weird. Now, uh, he continued his academic studies, gaining his PhD in 1840 with his work called The Difference Between the Democritian and the Epicurean Philosophy of Nature. I have no fucking clue what that title means, 
But <laughs> Marx was an atheist, weirdly, considering he's comes from this like massive heritage of like Jewish, like very influential, popular Jewish people. Like I think his granddad was like a popular rabbi and like very mm. influential Jewish people. And then his dad was like, no, we're all going to be Christian because I can't get a fucking job because it's stupid. And they went, okay, we're now Christian. And he was like, I don't believe in any of it now. <laughs> I just, he was just a proper atheist. Now, his paper... I suppose maybe if you change religion, you then start questioning the, um, I don't know, oh, yeah. religion in general, if you can just chop and change. I think you're right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Because you'd be like, well, if you can just change it, then clearly it's not that fucking good. Yeah, is what it? the fuck do we believe? Yeah, that's what, oh, I never thought that. So um, his paper kind of called for theism or religious ideology to bow down to philosophy. It's like um, he saw it as having no place in the modern world. It's like, yeah, religion has its place and had its time. But like we now live in a world of science and thinking and all this kind of stuff. And it's just there's no Mm -hmm. place for religion here. I don't want it here. Now, naturally, that pissed off a lot of people at the time. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so he was like. I'm not going to be that dumb and uh, admit submit my work at the University of Berlin, which is a very communist, Christ, uh, communist conservative Christian <laughs> little place. So instead, he took it to another university that was sort of like wouldn't really give a shit as much and was like, here, here's my dissertation, here's my PhD. And I went, oh, great, nice one. And yeah, he had his PhD, which is kind of cool. Um, and, and then a fun little story with that. With PhD in hand, Marx celebrated with his best friend at the time by going back to his old uni at Bonn, where they got themselves royally drunk and then rode around the town on donkeys. As you do. <laughs> I just think that's really fun. I like the idea of him having like a massive bottle of beer just like on a donkey hardly staying on it, just shouting obscenities at people. I like that. I think that's quite funny. I mean, it's just typical students, isn't it? Find a donkey, ride it. <laughs> yeah. uh, at at the, uh, the University of Oxford in cambridge no uh, no sorry oh, oh people are like that university of cambridge the university of oxford in cambridge yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and annoyingly i've been to cambridge and i've seen these universities and i've done their wee little gondola tour where that students like tell you about this the, the history of the place and you're like yeah okay i get it like, mm. it's older than the aztec empire i don't give a shit um is it yeah yeah they've been around longer than aztecs were um but there's a a, a statue like or, or like a big building at one of these i think it's like king's college cambridge i think it might be or whatever i'm not sure but there's a there's like a ritual that students uh climb the building to put a cone on the highest sort of corner of the building and every year the college is like college gets really pissed off that they do that but it's such a tradition now that they just keep doing it and then like the poor workers have to like climb the building on scaffolds and everything just to get a cone down get it back yeah it's a fun little thing now by yeah by, yeah. by 1842, Marx is now, he's 23, right? Uh, he's got himself a fiance. He wants to start a life with her, but he's got to get himself a job. You know, you can't just live hand to mouth and not get himself a job. Uh, he wanted to teach philosophy at university, but the rather conservative government was, as we've mentioned, very anti-liberal. And they wouldn't have, you know, Karl Marx would not have been able to get himself a job at the university, basically. They'd be like, no, you're going to start teaching them shit that we don't want them to learn, that kind of behavior. So you're not going to get a job here. So he ended up moving to Cologne, where he worked as a journalist for the newspaper Rheinische Zeitung, which means Rhineland News. Uh, It wasn't your mainstream newspaper. It openly spoke out against the conservative regime in Berlin and other areas of Germany, or 
you know, Prussia at the time. He wrote about some of the appalling living conditions the working class were putting up with. And Marx was able to focus his political thinking a bit more whilst at the paper. You know, he'd been a member of many philosophical and political groups at uni, but here he's really now got a sort of an opportunity to talk to a wider audience. So he's got to like kind of hone his ideas a bit more. Now, mm. unfortunately, that same regime that was he was calling out were suppressing and sometimes outright banning his writings. But that obviously you know, didn't stop him. He was then made editor of the newspaper and what he said goes. So not only did they question the government, but they openly called out the Russian Tsar. Uh, and apparently that was enough for them all. They were like, no, 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 you've gone too far. I'm not having that. So they shut down the newspaper. They're like, no, get out. And Marx was now an out. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Marx was then an out of work journalist and even resorted to having to move in with his fiancee's mother and receive support from her. Which I imagine is quite, you know. God, not that's a fucking blow to the ego, isn't well, it? Particularly like the male ego in the 1800s. Like you can't even. Yeah, like, right. The whole point of the. F- I mean, even nowadays, like, oh, that would be tough. Yeah, I mean, the family were hesitant about her engaging herself to a Carl because they were like, I don't think you can support her now that your dad's dead. And he was like, no, don't worry. And even the dad was like, no, 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 it's fine. I like him. He can marry my daughter. And then he's moved in with the mother and was like, can you have some money, please? Bloody hell, wow. Mm. Gotta do what you gotta do, I guess. Yeah, exactly, you gotta do what you gotta do. There's nothing wrong with you asking for help. No, no, very very good point. So he did manage to get himself another job with a newspaper uh, called the Deutsche Franzur... Fra- oh, fuck me, I've, I've, I've practised this so many times and I've, I think I've nailed it. <laughs> I've even like wrote it out better so that I can say it and I've fucked it up on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> it was called the Deutsche Französische Jahrbuch. Yeah. Right. Which was a leftist newspaper started by a guy called Arnold Ruger, who was based in Paris. He'd done the sm- okay. he'd done it the smart way, basically, right? So it's one thing to have a leftist newspaper in a conservative country, but it's a, it's a smarter one to not even be in that country you're calling out. Uh and Marx understood that. He was like, oh, this dude's doing it right. He's like not even in fucking Germany. He's calling it out. They can't really grab him from there. So he got married to his girl, Jenny. And then talking to Arnold Ruger was like, can I come and stay with you for a bit? And he was like, yeah, sure. So he then moved to Paris to meet up with Arnold Ruger. Now, Arnold put up his new guest with his new wife in his own home and allowed Marx to continue doing his job whilst writing. Uh, and although the couple would move out and find their own apartment when they had their first child, Jenny, in 1844, Carl really could not have been in a better place at this time. Um, Paris at the time was the free-thinking capital of Europe. People debated things like liberalism and socialism openly on the streets. They weren't, you know, sort of afraid of an authoritarian regime coming in and suppressing them and that sort of stuff, right? Now, Arnold and Marx, they'd worked together for quite some time until they had a falling out. See, Marx had written an essay called, quote, On the Jewish Question, which, despite him being of Jewish heritage, is condemned by many to be anti-Semitic. And I mean, the title alone is is not ideal. No, it, it's, it's a bit close to the line, that bit close to the line in fact uh the answers uh, apparently the nazis had the answer to the jewish question if you remember in history so oh well yeah they thought they did 
yeah, Marx proposed the question, apparently, and the, Jew the Nazis answered it. But, um, yeah, uh, it turns out in this uh, essay, it also depicted satirical poetry about the king of Bavaria. And for some reason, that seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back for Arnold Ruger. Uh, and he was like, nah, I'm not happy with that. So it seems that Marx was too radical, even for his liberal lefty friend. And mm. then he quit the paper. So uh, he quit the paper, he's out of work, so he started immediately trying to write for another newspaper called uh, Vorworts, which is forward in German. Yeah, it's a German-language radical paper where he could write about how other liberals and socialists were basically shit and not as good as him. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not, not really as into it. Like, oh, you leftist, you call yourself leftist, but you're not really, that kind of stuff. That's what he was doing. Yeah, uh, yeah we and, still see that now, don't we? Fucking inner bickering. <laughs> that's the whole problem like that's the problem with the labor party in it it's like oh you're too leftist and it's like isn't that the point it's like <laughs> it was after the um the local elections we've just had and people are like it's not Keir Starmer's fault it's the media it's this and that it's like just stop for a second and do a little bit of self-reflection because if you continuously say that we are not the problem and it's someone else that's the problem then you're never going to fucking fix anything I think I am left-wing, you're left-wing, but I think the problem with a lot of left-wing people is that they're so fucking righteous, they never question themselves because they think, I am good. But really, are you good? Because, um, anyway, we're getting off on one. I don't know. I have an issue with left-wing politics at the minute. I also have an issue with right-wing politics. I'm not a centrist, though. Where do I fit on this fucking scale? See, I, I am... I'm. Uh drifting t more to the center as i'm getting older i've uh, realized um mm. uh, but i think maybe the thing with the leftists is that they're so adamant that they want to be free they don't want to have a leader they don't have an oppressor and they see anyone calling the shots as an oppressor therefore they can never have a leader and then they will happily oppress other people in their own way yeah yeah by stopping it you like work. you can't say that anymore because it's offending everyone it's like yeah but you're now oppressing me <laughs> This is the thing, you, you you can't fix oppression with fucking oppression. Otherwise, you're just going to switch, change it, and then all of a sudden the right-wing people will be the marginalised ones, because at the minute I'd say the left-wings are in the lesser number. But then as demographics change, because obviously left-wing people generally are quite younger, mm. as the older population die out, the political landscape will change dramatically. And then we'll fucking put this left-wing politics to the test and see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> it was in Paris that... Karl Marx met a young guy called Friedrich Engels. He was a budding philosopher and revolutionary at the, at the time. He'd been keeping a close eye on the working class in Britain and the shitty conditions that they were living in. How they were being exploited by business owners, paying peanuts and not guaranteeing their workers job security. In fact, um, uh, Friedrich Engels had visited Manchester to seal their cotton mills uh, and the mm. textile industry that was going on there and speaking to people that lived in slums and, and dodgy houses and stuff like that. It's basically just like, you know, trying to get the word on the street and then was coming back and writing about it. Um, mm. In fact, he met a woman out there as well and was like, you'll be my guide. And I think they're also like, you know, getting it on at the same time. But yeah, <laughs> side bit. Now, this seriously <laughs> impressed Marx, right? He was like, oh, wow, this dude, like he's kind of really doing what i'm calling for as well in like germany but he's doing it in like other fucking countries as well that's really cool um he almost like had an epiphany you know like a calling if you will he was now going to be like i'm going to focus on economic philosophy um there will be a revolution where the working class would rise up 
and overcome capitalism. That was sort of the thinking. Oh, and also, because I know we'll get this, right? We've had people commenting before saying, uh, actually, it's uh, da, da, da. I, I know, I know. Uh, Friedrich Engels and Karl Marx had met each other previously in Germany before they met each other in Paris and where Marx had his little epiphany that I've just written about. However, they didn't like each other. They didn't hit it off. It didn't work out. And it was only later on when they met again in Paris did they then hit it off and it all went, like, you know, Marx became the person he is right now. Just want to point that out now. I know they met before. Um, I remember we had like one person. We, I think we did a Winston Churchill one, and on the social media post, someone went, uh, "Are you ever going to speak about um, Nelson?" It's like, well, yeah, at some point, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Winston Churchill posts were fucking hilarious. I loved oh, every single one. Yeah, it went a bit mad. Uh, so yeah, uh, if what... you're from a different country and you think about Winston Churchill, the second you mention his name in this country, you'll either get two responses: it, people will either go fucking wanker, or people will either begin to tell you how he was the best human being to ever have lived. There's, oh, there's no, no in between. between. No, there really isn't. <laughs> so yeah, um, Marx. Yeah, Marx wanted a revolution. He knew there would be a revolution, right? The working class will rise up, overcome capitalism, and we'll all live in a paradise. But before he could kick that off, Prussia, the country he came from, demanded that France extradite Marx. I think what they were they were terrified of Marx, right? He's a left wing, uh, lefty liberal, calling for quite a lot of change. Uh, now, when he's in Prussia, they can silence him. He's now in France, somewhere that is famous for killing monarchs and getting rid of emperors. And they were like, if he can even get a wee bit of a foothold in that country, any kind of support, he could bring that back. And we're not kind of keen on that. So they were like, France, I want you to extradite him back to Prussia. Uh, but France was like, nah, um, I'll tell you what. <laughs> tell you what you've got 24 hours to leave the country therefore you know i put my hands up look we got rid of him but we just didn't say in which direction he ought to go so they gave him 24 hours to leave france and Marx, along with his jenny uh, his wife jenny his jenny along with his wife <laughs> and their first daughter you know also called jenny they fled to belgium making their new home in brussels in february of 1845 but there was a catch See, while staying in Brussels, Marx was not allowed to publish anything on contemporary politics. But, you know, that, that it's Karl Marx. That wasn't going to stop him, was it? Mm. So he hung out with other exiled radicals, honing his political and philosophical thinking, and then published a book called The Poverty of Philosophy in 1847. Now, in a nutshell, as I've understood it, the book makes the point that instead of trying to change the minds of people one at a time, you should try to aim for a whole economic class. So if you want to get the working class to rise up against their bosses, you don't hang outside the door and speak to them one by one, painstakingly converting them, giving them leaflets. Instead, you try to mobilise the whole class as one. And then mm-hmm. the whole factory gets taken over rather than like, you know, two or three of them going, um, we ought to be doing this. And then like the rest yeah. of them saying, oh, no, we can't. Too scared or whatever reason. Do you know what I mean? I think that's has been adopted for pol- by politicians for the last century or so. Then they do gen- generally tend to aim for certain demographics as a whole. Yeah, exactly. No, you're, you're spot on. It's better to like go for the whole. Uh, that seems to get more results. Like it's almost like why in a weird way leafleting kind of doesn't work anymore i would have said you know you see like um politicians like go like knocking on doors and they have to speak to each one yeah. individually no why do that why not post uh why not create a social media post 
put like a hundred pound in it and you can reach five thousand people with one post yeah the world has changed yeah so yeah in fact this book was the beginning of Karl Marx in terms of his famous thinking and laid the groundwork for his later stuff now in Brussels eventually he was joined by his buddy Engels and he and Marx took a working holiday to England to see the living conditions of the working class they toured factories and slums they spoke to the common man on the street about his working conditions uh and yeah after six weeks they were like i think i've kind of got a clear idea of what's going on here for like you know so it's more beneficial to marx anyway because engels was like you should see how it's over in england they've really got capitalism down he was like all right i'm game (laughs) um and yeah when they came back after a bit of time uh marx and engels sat down for like two weeks straight and produced a 30 page pamphlet called the communist manifesto oh oh we're getting somewhere now (laughs) <laughs> everyone's been like sitting there going right we are 37 minutes in and you've not mentioned communism yet and here it is now <laughs> this would be marx's magnus opus made in good time as well see marx had been part of a secret group called the communist league where they would just think up of ways to change the world you know like i said before like champagne socialists you sit there with a bottle of bubbly or whatever and you go do you know what we ought to do this and you go yeah that's a really good idea and no one ever does it you're just coming up with loads of theories. Yeah. But in, 1840, yeah. in 1847, they were convinced to come out of the shadows and become a genuine political party. And the Communist Manifesto was to be the manifesto of the party. And in 1848, when it was released, just by sheer coincidence, right, a wave of revolutions and protests across Europe happened, particularly in France with the abolishment of another monarch and an introduction of a second French Republic. And Marx was like, mm. oh, my God, it's happening. It's happening. It's literally like the, the office, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's happening. <laughs> uh, he saw the opportunity, right? And he wanted to get his word out. So he moved back to Germany in Cologne, where like he could have been arrested and whatnot. And he established a new paper trying to encourage change. Uh, he was like, right, we're going to jump on the momentum. It's all, gonna, it's all kicking off, right? Okay. But it had little effect, right? It, it really wasn't taking on. Uh, in fact, he was taken to court on several occasions for various allocations, uh, such as inciting armed rebellion. Apparently, he was paying uh, Belgian peasants, like, you know, workers uh, to arm them, to, like, you know, rise up and all this shit. But he was acquitted of everything, right? Now, what did happen was the King of Prussia had it so that Marx's newspaper was suppressed and ordered to leave the country. A brief stopover in Paris, ending in him being told to leave there as well. For some reason, they were like, listen, I can't be asked for you. Can you leave? Uh, Meant that he made his home in London in 1849, where he would spend the rest of his days. So that Communist League that Marx was a member of, they had established a base in London where Marx would often be seen. But the leaders of the faction wanted to kickstart the revolution of the working classes in london with the hopes that it would spread across the country and then europe but marx was not so keen on the idea see he wanted to unite the people by educating them over time a revolt now would end much in the same way as the peterloo massacre back in 1819 have you heard of the peterloo massacre no i'd i'd only heard of it as a film but i didn't know it was genuinely a historical thing so apparently in 1819 a bunch of northerners in the uk they protested for government change 
Uh, and instead, the cavalry got sent in and 18 people got killed and hundreds were injured. Right. Just for protesting okay. for change. Like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. So that's the Peterloo Massacre. And Karl Marx was like, look, I'll be honest with you. If you try and kick off anything, the same thing is going to happen again. It's just not like, take your time, educate the people, make sure that they know what they're doing and then they can mobilize in their own time. Yeah. In fact, Marx, he fully expected the revolution to happen, but insisted that they be patient and, you know, keep working away in the background to nudge it along. That's all he was really happy to do because he wasn't even sure if it would happen in his own lifetime, but he was fine with that. He was always like, listen, it's going to happen. Whether I see it or not, it will happen. He was happy to keep planting the seeds and just doing whatever he could in the meantime to sort of argue for uh, voter rights, rights for the poor, and even like freedom of speech, which apparently wasn't a thing in England. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I looked that up, right? Um, we've got like some another project that we're going to be working on soon and we talk about you know, free, do we have freedom of speech? And it's like in the UK technically we do yeah but it's like it's not written down anywhere uh anyway <laughs> in london right marx would slow down right all his momentum from the past is kind of like kind of hit a halt here because when he got to london he was pretty much penniless having spent the majority of his inheritance from his dad backing up political movements and starting newspapers and he was totally dependent on his friend Friedrich Engels to prop up him and his family whilst he continued his writing. Sorry, guys, this is going to be really abrupt. You're going to go, hold on a minute, it was just mid-fucking sentence. And yes, I was just mid-fucking sentence, but I'm not joking, everyone. We've literally just gone half a fucking hour of talking <laughs> and I have just looked back at my recording equipment and it stopped recording at 44 fucking minutes. And I'm so annoyed and upset, but I have figured it out. We are carrying on. Uh, so, yeah, think of this as an interval. If you want, go get some Maltesers. Go pay £5 for that <laughs> shitty little fucking Ben and Jerry's from that twat who makes minimum wage. Because I'm, I'm furious, right? Go have a little breather. Because <laughs> we're about to start again, right? So, um, just as before we finished, I mentioned that um, Karl Marx was practically um, penniless when he got to London, okay? And he was dependent on his friend, Friedrich Engels. Now, despite the fact that uh, Karl Marx is, for the last 150 to 200 years, one of the most influential people in world history. I will not stress, I cannot stress the irony enough uh, where Karl Marx gets his money from, right? So, as I've mentioned, Friedrich Engels supports Karl Marx in any monetary way. Like, he gives him money to keep himself in a home and food and do a job and all this kind of shit. But, do we know where... Friedrich Engels gets his money from James. Well, I do now, but I'm not going to spoil it for <laughs> for everyone else. So Friedrich Engels is the son of a rather wealthy uh, texture mill owner, right? In fucking Manchester, the same factories that Carl Eng uh, Carl Friedrich Engels had been touring around. Pre previously in Manchester, going around to all the people in the slums, going, "Oh, it's really shit here. Look at, oh, I'm really sorry that you live like that. That's really bad." In the meantime, it's his own dad that owns like a load of the factories around the area, and Karl Marx is actively being given money from the son of this capitalist worker. It's fucking mad. 
I mean, yeah, it's very hypocritical on his part, isn't it? Yeah, no, it, it, it's madness. Uh, and, and listen, like I say, I, I understand you've got to have a, what you've got to, have, got to make money. You want to keep up doing your job, but the problem is, is that Karl Marx is so hell bent on just maintaining this upper middle class lifestyle that he is used to that he's unwilling to like you know downgrade maybe have a smaller place blah 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 he's just no i'm gonna keep getting money from my friend now this meant that in theory Karl marx's family was literally living in poverty because they have a penny to the name so marx had to get a job now unable to create his own newspaper to write for marx became an international journalist writing for several newspapers across Europe and even in New York, working for one of the most popular newspapers there, the New York Daily Tribune. Some of his writings spoke about how the election of Abraham Lincoln would cause civil war and that it would affect Britain's textile industry, both of which came to be. Now, he did this for the next 13 years of his life until the newspaper changed its political stance, which Marx disagreed with and left the paper. Once again, he was unemployed and in need of the financial support of his friend, which didn't go down too well. Engels had recently lost his wife and was in mourning. Now, receiving a letter from a dear friend, not expressing condolences, but asking for money, didn't go down very well with Engels. In fact, this is Engels' reply to Karl Marx when asking for money. Quote, All my friends have shown me on this occasion, which was bound to touch me very nearly, more sympathy and friendship than I could expect. You found the moment suitable to enforce the superiority of your cold thought processes. Which is pretty fucking damning. Like, he's pissed off, evidently. Yeah, he didn't even let his wife's body go cold before he started asking for money. Very literally, that's literally true. Um... Marx's next reply could be seen as an attempt to apologise for upsetting his friend, but I think it's more likely he's just trying to calm down the situation so that he can start receiving money again. Absolutely. His reply was this, quote, My wife and children will bear me witness that when your letter came, I was much shattered by the death as one of those nearest to me. But when I wrote to you in the evening, it was under the impression of very desperate conditions. I had the landlord's broker in the house, the butcher protesting my cheque, shortage of coals and food, and little Jenny in bed. In such circumstances, I can generally save myself only by cynicism. Now, I, I, I can understand where he's coming from to a degree, like, um, as we mentioned on the, the previous attempt at talking <laughs> about this. Uh, James, you mentioned how it's like, you know, when you've got the bailiffs basically knocking at your door and you've got no yeah. money, so you're desperately asking anyone for a bit of help. Uh-huh. He's kind of doing that, but you know, how in these times, how would you ask for money? Because obviously, you can't just ask for a bank transfer. Would it have to be just bought to you in cash? I don't really know, to be honest with you. I have no idea. I hmm. imagine you'd go to the bank and you'd have a. Well, no, I imagine there was checks. No, might have a check. I don't. I don't really know what the state of the banks were at that time. Someone let us know. No. Hmm. Now, the, eventually, the pair made up, and Engels supported Marx once again. Marx spent most of his time now in the British Museum Library learning all he could on economic data with over 800 pages of notes. Using all of this, he sat to write Das Kapital, published in 1867. It was to be the first in a three-part book, but he didn't live long enough to complete it. Only part one was completed by himself. In it, 
He analyzes the worker-capitalist relationship, how the bourgeoisie exploit the proletariat workers, since the workers didn't own the means of production, they have no control over their labor and are therefore no better than machines, there to make a profit for their employers. Now, in the later years of his life, Marx suffered with boils and abscesses that got so bad he struggled to sit up and work. On December the 2nd, 1881, his beloved wife Jenny died. Marx fell into a depression at the loss of his wife. His friend Engels managed to convince him to take a trip to Algiers for a couple months, hoping that when he came back, he would be, you know, perked up a little bit, you know, maybe cheered up a little bit, got over it, go mourn, go to a nice hot country, that'll help you out. Unfortunately, when he returned, tragedy struck once again when his daughter, Ginny Caroline, died too. Marx it's was just, engulfed. It's just unfair, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's not nice, especially because like, they've got the same name and you feel like that person's died again and those those children being the same name as the wife are supposed to emulate her in any in every way. and mm. Yeah, it was almost like watching her die again. It's not very nice. Now, Marx was engulfed with grief uh, and in doing so, he clung on for a couple more months before eventually passing away aged 63 on March the 14th, 1883 from a combination of bronchitis and pleurisy. At the time of his passing, you might have thought that he was just a radical whose ideas would never work. They hadn't taken off at all in his own lifetime. With him gone now, they probably wouldn't ever. But you'd be wrong. Around 40 years later, his writings would be taken to an extreme with the Russian Revolution, and for the rest of the century, revolutions would spring up using Marx as the cornerstone to justify their actions. Tens of millions of people would die at the hands of those abusing the works of Marx, and because of that, we today see him in a negative light. But let's take the time now to look at some of Marx's thinking. Was it all that bad? Marx wrote that workers need to see themselves in the work that they do. The idea was that modern work, at that time in particular, with machinery and the mass production meant that work became simple. Anyone could do it, which meant it had less meaning, less to care about. And when so much is being produced by so many people doing the same thing, the worker may feel they're not contributing to society with their work. Therefore, modern work leads to alienation. Um, which I believe happens today, still. Like, um, oh, with, 100%. Uh, work that you don't feel... When you when you leave the doors of your employment, uh, you go. Oh, I really feel like I've put the work in today. Like I've really done a good job. You go. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna do eight hours again tomorrow of the same mm. menial shit. It, it, uh, it's, it's true. Like I just don't feel like many people enjoy what they do, which is such a shame because if we get into oh, Christ, it's about to get deep. If we get into what humans actually are. We're just like, what, a matter and stardust that have accumulated over millions and billions of years and have brought us to life in this fucking flesh cage full of emotions at this exact moment, and mm. you're sitting on your ass working nine to five and being miserable. Like, that's so mental that we've created this yeah. fucking system that does that because it's so much bigger. Everyone's always like, look at the bigger picture, but when they say that, they're like, you could get money, you could do this. The bigger fucking picture is we're all here completely by accident and you're being a pencil pusher. And this isn't so just like having to go at desk jobs. If you are unhappy in anything that you're doing, 
change it. Yeah. So many people are like, I can't change it because of X, Y, Z. You fucking can. You have that power. So it, it infuriates when, me when people settle for mediocrity. When I was looking for a job, um, where I am from in Essex, nearly everybody that you know works in recruitment. All of them. They all work in recruitment. <laughs> so, I know so many people that work in recruitment. Like, who are you yeah. recruiting? It's the job of the millennial, I believe. Everyone works in fucking recruitment. And I, when I was looking for a job, I was like, well, if everyone's doing it, surely it can't be that fucking hard. So I was like, I'll, I'll <laughs> give it a go. So I, I applied for a couple of recruitment jobs and I got into one interview over the phone. And the woman said to me like, oh yeah, you do this, that, the other. You can make good money, blah, blah, blah. It's all on commission, this, that, the other. And then I was asking what the hours were. And she said, well, um, on as you know, on the advert, it says like eight till uh, six uh however like most people get in at like uh seven or sometimes even a bit earlier just like get ahead of themselves get a bit more work uh and they don't leave till like you know sort of seven or eight o'clock at night and i went Bloody oh hell. really is that like is that mandatory and she went no 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 it's just most people like to get ahead of themselves obviously because it's commission based the more work you can do the more money you make and i went oh okay but like it's not like a i don't have to do that and she went no, no. I mean, of course you don't. But like, if you want to make more money on commission, then then it's 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 advised. And I went, ah, oh, be honest with you, like I'm not really that money motivated. So, you know. And she went, I'll be honest with you, I don't think this job's going to be for you then. And I was like, oh, okay. And so it's like people that want to make money, they're the people that mm. do that job and are good at it. And yeah, then we, we, I yeah, I end up putting the phone down. I didn't get the job. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. I don't know if this was on the previous recording or this one where I spoke about belief systems and money. I think it might have been on the other one. If not, just money is a belief system, emotions real, yada, yada, yada. But we've <laughs> uh, created the system where money is the be-all and end-all of yeah. everything we do. I once saw a Facebook status once of someone I went to school with and was like, if you don't have money, then you're not a real man. And I thought, what the uh, fuck? How have you been brought that? up? Like, that's so fucking horrible. Yeah. That's awful. Money is money is fucking pointless. It it's just this way we've this thing, this belief system we've created that just controls our lives. And I hate it. But obviously I can sit here in my nice warm bedroom, know I've got food downstairs, looking at my laptop with my fancy recording equipment that I bought with money. Money that I earned. Yeah. Maybe not the house. Money my parents earned, but like so it's I maybe this is a champagne socialist in me coming out. I'm a bit like what Marx did, but it, I just hate it. I fucking hate it that you have to work for this paycheck. I believe everyone should work because I think if you just sit on your ass all day, as we found out in the past year, like, Christ, life is not worth living. <laughs> but it should be something you enjoy, well, something well, that stimulates you as a person. We will get on to the whole, like, not working thing uh, in a bit uh, when we talk about redistribution of wealth. Um, but uh, I-, I wanted to quickly just bring up the question that I absolutely hate the most, which we've briefly mentioned before. Uh, uh, when you're in an interview, every one of our listeners will sit here and they'll go, oh, because they'll know it. They've heard it. The question is, so tell me, James, why do you want to work for this company? Because I really want money. Yeah, because I-, I really kind of like want to have a roof over my head for the next couple of months. I want to pay rent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, yeah, exactly. All the basic necessities to to live. That's yeah. what fucking baffles me. That to live on this planet, you have to pay. Mad, isn't it? I, I, there was one thing it's I saw. Crazy. It was like the first eighteen years of your life are a free trial, and then you have to pay to pay to live. Yeah, just fucking. That's maybe why people opt out. It's just. 
on it's such a weird fucking system there needs to be there's always been some sort of economics in place whether it was like goods for goods sort of thing there'll always be some form of economy just because that's kind of how we work no one wants to work for free but if you live your entire life i'm a big believer if you live your entire life unfulfilled then what's the point i'm not saying have statues of yourself built because you've done something fantastic but if like what brings you happiness is settling down with the family fucking do it if you want to sit in an office all day because it wants to make you happy then do it but don't do things that don't mm. because that's all we have that in, in rea- reality that's all we have is how we feel i watched um there's a i think his name's Sadhguru. he's a indian man um i i don't know i don't know his title but he's fucking one of these people that when he speaks you just like wow mm. And he's just like, what What are you? Are you your house? No. Are you your body? No. Are you your mind? Like, no, you are none of these things. He's like, his theory is that we are just like these souls. Mm. But we, we like project ourselves into other things. Like if someone gets a fancy car and go, that's mine. Like I am that car. This car represents me. He's like, no, it doesn't. It's just this material thing that you've accumulated. And attached yourself to, yeah. If someone, th- for, for me, like if you have a really fancy car, but you're an asshole, I don't give a fuck about your car. You're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what predominantly you are well this idea of uh work alienating uh people is brought on more because of uh, capitalism so uh a- an example that is used is a carpenter can learn to craft over time uh, a chair from just some fucking wood right they spend many hours learning and making uh, a chair and they charge their worth for the product and when it's finished they then get a sense of pride with their work but capitalism drives the cost down uh, by making the carpenter's work worth less uh, by having machines that are able to make the same chair quicker and cheaper and hiring a twat like me with hardly any uh, uh, qualifications. I'm able to be taught how to press a button on a machine that makes the machine do the work. And then when I see the chair come out the other end i have no sense of pride of making a chair the only thing i can be prideful over is the button pushing and then i have to do that for eight hours and then when i finish my shift i then complain that i have to go back and do the same shit again tomorrow and that alienates the worker and most people i imagine can uh, sympathize with that (laughs) so uh, another another thing is that modern work is insecure with the work able to be done by anyone, the worker becomes expendable, particularly when it, particularly mm-hmm. when more innovative ways come in to make production cheaper, like technology. Therefore, the worker can be replaced with such. Yeah, it, we see it now, like self scan check, uh, self scan checkouts, and Amazon have taken it a step further with their no fucking scanning shops, where you can go and grab something and it charges you as you walk out. It's just mental. You if, you, if you're expendable, you're not cared about and people like to be cared about. It's absolutely amazing when I saw Amazon open up their uh, workerless shop. You can just walk in. You don't have to pay for nothing, i.e. like right now. You just pick it up and you can walk out and you go, oh, as an, ex- as an experience, that's fantastic. As a consumer, you think that's really cool. But you know what? Mm. It's, it's awful for people, like workers, awful it's amazing for Amazon because they're making more money and not uh, it's not really cost them anything. They're not having to pay for anyone to man the shop or do this, that, the other. It's, it's amazing, but it's also an awful vision of the future. 
I can see many, many shops going the same way. If they put in, they invest a wee bit more money, they can have this amazing technology that Amazon have, and they will have they will have workerless shops all over the place. It's scary. The economy will struggle. Yeah, and then what do you do with those people that now don't have a job? So uh, another yeah. thing yeah. is that workers get paid little while capitalists get rich. Marx blamed capitalists for reducing wages as much as possible to increase their own profit. He called it theft of the worker. You're stealing the hard work of your workforce. That extra profit you made from tightening belts should be given back to the worker for their hard work. The capitalist pays little to their worker and sells their labour for a higher markup to make money. And Marx called it exploitation. Um, On this note, uh, during our little break while we sorted out the recording, I was just flicking through Twitter and I saw this tweet. Billionaires made $3.9 trillion during the pandemic, enough to pay for every single person on this planet's vaccine. Meanwhile, workers lost $3.7 trillion in the pandemic in earnings. Women and Gen Z saw the biggest losses. Wow. So we saw capitalism go fucking crazy during a global pandemic, when really what we should have done as a planet, as a species, is come together and be like, right, how are we sorting this? Mm. But instead, what we did is we just created these vaccines. I think uh, AstraZeneca, I think, is non-profit, which is why I think a lot of other countries are struggling to get to grips with it, because they're like, well, who's making money out of this? <laughs> yeah. Whereas Pfizer and um, what's the American one? Is it Moderna? Moderna, I believe so, yeah. They're fucking expensive. Mm. And there's no need for it to be expensive. And the second you start putting money over health, and we sort of, obviously we see this in countries without uh, socialist healthcare, it's awful. If you have a heart attack but you can't pay for it, you can't have a heart attack. If you want a child and you don't have 30k, you can't have a child. No. Obviously, we can sit in here, uh, here in England and be like, if, I, if something happened to me right now, I can go to the hospital, I'll get looked after and I can leave and that's that. Whereas in America, I know particularly, if something happens to you, if someone goes ringing an ambulance, you're like, no, don't ring the fucking ambulance. I can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Capitalism gone wrong. Capitalism gone wrong. Now, distribution of wealth is another uh, point he likes to make. If we look at it with 2021 eyes, we are so good at producing goods that we have more than we need. There is uh, a... There is this is a great uh, sorry this is great for cost uh, because r rarity increases value uh, and the more of something there is the cheaper it is but on the labor side we are so good at producing goods that most humans are now no longer needed to do those jobs um, to we're, we're so good at creating stuff using robots that there's loads of humans that are just hanging around not with with fuck all else to do so, uh, mm. for example, um, take your local supermarket. Mine is an Asda. Uh, there are there was, I would say, fifteen to 10, 10 to fifteen years ago, twenty five tills, each manned by someone to take something I would like to buy. They would scan it, tell me how much it costs. I give them the money. They give me my change, and I go off. Now, in that same shop, there are probably ten manned tills. The rest are computers, and I'm doing the work. Not only has the supermarket saved themselves money by not having to pay their cashiers anymore, but they've also got themselves free labour in me doing my own job. I'm scanning my own shopping. But those 10 cashiers now have no job or will need to retrain to do some other menial job for another company that will also pay fuck all, i.e. the minimum wage, which again, I think minimum wage is criminal, but either way. 
Yeah. Um, so what do we do about that? As, as technology will improve, companies will try to find a way to make more profit. And the way they make more profit is by bringing in a machine that can do the same job that I don't have to pay anymore. That means people lose their jobs. Then what? They'll become, they'll become an, an industry of work that is just so automated that humans just cannot get in. And the only people that will be able to work is those that can uh, repair the machines that do the jobs. So what do we do with that? Which is where I'm suggesting going forward that with more and more people losing their jobs to technology, the companies that install the technology should still have to pay a wage for the machines that have replaced the staff member and that wage should then be paid back as a tax to then be redistributed to uh, the people that lose their jobs, if that makes sense. So if you... If, I get you, I do get you. You have 25 cashiers, 25 cashiers have now lost their job, or I've now got 30 machines. Okay, well, you still have to pay for those 25 cashiers that you would have had that have now been replaced. You know, you can have as many machines as you like, but you'll still pay for the people that you would have had. Uh, and I think yeah. that should be then put in. Uh, so those those people that now no longer have a job, they're still being paid money and they still can live. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, we kind of have a shitty version of that in the last year with people being furloughed. They've been given money to not go to work, right? Now, yeah. you mentioned how um, almost life is almost not lo- what worth living without anything to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm I'm a big... Uh, advocate of universal basic income where you're paid enough to basically fucking live and not have to go to fucking work right which is basically what we've had in a really shitty version but the reason i think most people are upset or depressed or sad or didn't like it or don't want it is because there's nothing fucking open to do we've had a year off of work and been paid 80 percent of our wages which has been shit but also there's been nowhere to go there's been nothing to do people have got bored I would argue that with things to do, people are more likely to go out and do what they want to do. They can go out and socialise if they want to. They can support local businesses if they want to with that free time and money they've got. If they really want to, they can start a podcast if they want. <laughs> start that art project they've never wanted, they've never been able to do because you know I work forty hours and I can't afford to do else what. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm a big proponent of that anyway. So, um. it'll go on to my next point so the the last thing i think i have is um commodity fetishism now in marx's time hello hello no i was saying hello fetishism (laughs) i thought we'd lost you (laughs) i thought i'd lost you so yeah sorry we've got uh commodity fetishism now in marx's time capitalists married other wealthy people to keep a status quo right so as we all know like they they never really married out of love they married because you know the other family still has money and we need to maintain our life and more money so you marry into families with money um as far as marx saw it marriage was just like a business transaction uh and marx believed that the capitalist system forced everyone to think with the economy first and their own passions second. And I believe we see it today. When I've brought up uh, universal basic income to people, even people in my own family, the reply I am met with is this, quote, oh, but you have to work for your living. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that to me sounds like something a capitalist wants people to say. That's capitalism coming out of the mouths of people, right? 
they trick you into thinking that to be out of work is socially bad we've got this word unemployment unemployment is a dirty word apparently what's what's bad about being out of work well it's because mm. we live in a world that has told us that to be in work is honorable to be out of work is not but who benefits by you being in work yes yeah, sure you're able to put a roof over your head with the peanuts that you're being paid but you're not the one who gets to buy himself another yacht because you really pushed yourself this week and I really hit them sales targets and I went above. I really pushed it this week to get what? An extra couple of quid. In the meantime, you've you've now brought in maybe a good couple of grand's worth of business by really pushing for that extra couple of pounds in your pocket, but now your business owner, that capitalist, if you want to call him that, has now been able to make enough that he can get that other yacht. It's not fair. <laughs> No, it's, it's it's why um, kind of a bit of a spin-off. Don't if you can shop local, shop independent businesses for all your goods. It's a little bit more pricey, but at least then your money is going to, I don't know, someone's kids' ballet lessons, uh, feeding a family. You might help them like have a child. It it your money then matters. Yeah, for sure. Whereas opposed, I'm I fucking love Amazon. I'm a I'm guilty of this. I order way too much for Amazon, but like I don't need to fund Jeff Bezos anymore. No, no. He can live. He's fine. Whereas someone who has a business that sells something you can get on Amazon might not be fine. They might need some help. Yeah. Now, that's it for me today. That's all I have. Uh, I'm sure uh, at some point, James, we will discuss uh, putting the world to rights financially and, and whatnot in another <laughs> you know, project later in the future. Um but yeah, that's basically my episode on Karl Marx. Listen, if you've made it this far, if you've really stuck to the end, because this has been, I think, maybe one of the longest single episodes we've ever done. I know we've done over parts, mm. uh, but I was adamant I wasn't going to do it over a two-part or anything. Um, uh, kudos for you for hanging around. <laughs> I hope you've learned enough about Karl Marx and got a sense of um, you know where we're going with it. I hope we've not. I hope we've not been too uh, preachy either. Oh, probably, but that's okay. That's just who we are. Yeah. Again, I, I think I think we tread the line. I think we talk shit about everyone, so it's fine. Oh yeah, I mean, I've called out Marx for being a, a hypocrite. So yeah, we're, we're not called right wing, left wing, centrist, no wings. I don't know what you are. It's fine. You're welcome here. <laughs> You're all welcome. Um, so yeah, that's Karl Marx. Uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed that um, as much as you could. I know it's been very word heavy. Um, do we have any idea who we're talking about next time? We don't. It's going to be a bad person. I wish <laughs> I could tell you. Um, work's been very busy, so I haven't really had time to think. I have had some suggestions of some friends, though. Oh. Uh, for I don't know whether it's a good person or a bad person, but I, I've got some ideas in the pipeline for the future. Excellent. But we will be uh, going back to bad next week, which yeah. will be fun because we all like evil people. We do like the bad episodes. I I I, I have a. a guilty pleasure in writing the bad episodes no you don't like bad episodes you like fucking horrific episodes <laughs> yeah and that's my guilty pleasure uh, alright well yeah so brilliant alright I hope you enjoyed this episode everyone uh, join us next week where we'll talk about some bad shit again um, make sure you follow us on all the socials if you'd like to donate to the show you can do you can hit us on our Kofi page www.ko-fi.com where you can drop us a one time donation to the show uh, to support this absolute shambles of a record where I've had to do t basically twice. <laughs> I'm very interested to see how this edits. Yeah, uh, I'm glad I'm not the one editing this week. Um, so yeah, 
thank you very much for joining us everyone uh, if you are listening to us on anything that can review us on if it's itunes uh make sure you drop us a review fun fact we got in the top 80 so we're in the top 100 in the uk for documentary That's fucking podcasts. crazy yeah yeah it's amazing uh we're in the top that blew 100. my mind so uh, and, and also ever since then i've had lots of friends message me be like oh i'm gonna start listening <laughs> so thank you welcome yeah hi welcome if it's your first time it, yeah welcome um I also checked it uh, literally last night at the time of recording, so that make it Thursday. Um, we were fifty nine. In oh shit, we were we were fifty ninth place in the UK for documentary podcasts. So uh, I I That's think fucking batshit. We've got some credence now. We've got some clout, as they say. Who's first? We're coming for them. Yeah, we're coming for it. Yeah, we're coming for it. So yes, uh, there's probably going to be someone like Louis Theroux or someone, isn't it? Someone that's never going to get. But we're coming for you. We're coming we're for suppose. Louis. We're coming for Louis. We'll get him on the show. We'll talk to him, and then we can be up there. Um, <laughs> review us on any platform that you listen to us on. Uh, subscribe or is it follow on on um, Spotify? One or the other. Do that. That'd be helpful. Uh, you can, yeah, follow. I think, and then it uh, downloads the episodes for you automatically, so they're just there, ready to go. There you go. Easily done. Um, yeah. So down with the capitalist make sure you seize the means of production and uh, we'll see you next week Ta-ra.